The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. everyone around the world and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mal Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time or your truth journey brought you here, welcome home. And to listen to tonight's full interview, I don't think I have to give you directions anymore. It's been too many years. Just click on the subscribe button and get your login immediately you'll be able to enjoy hundreds of hours of truth. And when you hear me say that Sanitas really upgrades your life, well, as you know, the FDA doesn't want me to make claims like that, but I can tell you from my own experience, it has upgraded my life. And hopefully it will yours too. All you have to do is listen and subscribe. Go to SanitasRadio.com and try today. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion or feedback, doesn't matter. I always love to hear from you. Click on the contact button of our website. Tonight's special guest will decode imperial control words. We'll discuss the sacred nature of race, gender, and sexuality. And we'll deconstruct new age and parapolitical paradigms. He is none other than a friend and veteran of this program, Neil Kramer, an English writer, philosopher, and teacher specializing in the fields of consciousness, metaphysics, and mysticism. Neil has made a lifelong independent study of philosophy, mystical traditions, religion, inner alchemy, occultism, and esoteric world history. He shares his path of transformation and empowerment in writings, interviews, and lectures, as well as giving one-on-one teachings and group workshops. Neil speaks on many fascinating subjects and is renowned for his unique blend of lucidity, empowerment, and authenticity. To learn more about Neil Kramer, visit his website at neilkramer.com and listen to all the interviews we have conducted in the past. They're all, I've lost count of how many they are, but they're all in our various archives. And just to announce, Neil has a weekend seminar scheduled in Omega, New York from September the 23rd through the 25th, entitled Journeys Beyond the Threshold. Also, Transmutation, the movie, has completed filming and it's currently in post-production and is due out early 2017. Check out the previews on www.transmutationmovie.com and he joins us directly near Seattle, Washington. Hello, Neil. Welcome back to your Veritas home. How are you? Hey, Mel. It's great to be with you. I'm very, very well. How are you doing? Great. Always, always a pleasure. And I have to tell you, by the way, I like it that instead of using the word conspiratorial, you use the word parapolitical. I like that. 
Yeah, yeah, conspiracies so 1990s. We, ne- we we don't want to be saying that anymore, do we? So parapolitical, I think, is the uh, more grown-up version, so why not? Yes, yes, ever since the JFK assassination, they have treated us like children for merely asking questions. And uh, as I always, you know, it's always been with you since day one. It's very exciting because beyond some talking points that I read in the intro, I really have no idea where you will be taking us tonight. So I always ask you the same question at the beginning of the program. What do you do to keep your material so different and so fresh? I I don't think I've ever listened to an interview that is the same. No, well, I used to listen to um, some wonderful people speaking in in the old days, like Manly P. Hall and Alan Watts and recordings, you know, in written form of people like Conan Doyle and Rudolf Steiner and George Gurdjieff. And what I used to be impressed by was the fact that they never really said the same thing twice. I mean, they'll, of course, cover some subjects, but it was always fresh. And what each of those kind of people said was that when you're into a spiritual paradigm in your own personal life and when philosophy is alive... Uh, it's always moving. It's a moving target. So it's like a road trip and you're just looking out of the window and just chronicling what you see out of the window. So as long as you're in motion, it's always fresh. So I just have tried to repeat that sort of tried and tested formula of saying, well, let me share what I see today because it's not the same as what we talked about last time or to some other guy or on another show or in a book. It's, it's always different. So, yeah, it's just life in motion. Are those influences of yours? You mentioned Alan Watt and, and uh, Manly B. Hall and Steiner and so on. Yeah, definitely. That Especially as a young man, to, to hear men of great character uh, and intellect, but also of big, with big hearts and people who were looking at the shadow as well as the light, which is very, very important to me. So um, Manly P. Hall, with you know, his study of esoteric groups, was, was a great influence. And Arthur Conan Doyle, of, of course, who wrote the Sherlock Holmes stories, he was also greatly interested in mysticism and metaphysics and spiritualism. And his later stories, even some of his Sherlock Holmes stories, brought that out. And uh, he, he wrote books about fairies and all kinds of weird stuff. So, yeah, and I like the way they use language as well, particularly Conan Doyle. Um, and other poets as well, like Wordsworth and William Blake and Tennyson had mystical influences. And so just that language and that optimism and that uh, character just, you know, influenced me, as, especially in my teens and 20s. And, you know, I, I have pictures and writings and poems of those guys in the house still. So they're, they're great, great heroes of mine, really. Speaking of language, the first talking point that we'll be discussing tonight, mm-hmm. decoding imperial control words. Now, what is this? Mm-hmm. So when I speak about uh, empire, I'll just say a few words about that just for listeners who are new who may not have heard that before. So I'm going to refer to something called empire probably throughout our conversation tonight. So empire is an, an ethos, really, a group, a method all those different things that attempts to restrict humankind to a lower state of being, to, to limit people to a diminished level of mental, emotional, and spiritual development, deep, deeply conditioning human beings to value collectivism over individualism. 
That's what it does. So I choose to use the term empire to describe this whole thing. Better term for me than New World Order or Illuminati or globalist or whatever. And I always also underlike, um, underline the fact that empire is not really a symptom of human brokenness. Um, so much as, uh, you know, a very, very distant echo of it. So it's not at all a cause. It's like a cold, you know, like having a running nose is the symptom of something that's a virus that's already taken place. So to me, empire is what comes when we stop determining life for ourselves, when we um, discard our gift of creating reality, when we stop unfolding our spirit, we invite this strange, wicked empire to run our lives for us. You know, we give our power to it. So, of, co- of course, you know, the, the term... Empire also does cover those perceptions about secret groups and globalism and centralization and negative um, occult practices and stuff like that. And it, it does preserve oligarchies and aristocracies and stuff. But above all, it's, it's an ethos. It's a philosophy. It's a method. It's a group of people. And it is important to just understand that however powerful they may seem and whatnot, they, they are wrong-hearted, they are emotionally shut down, immoral, flawed, and essentially weak. So I'm going to say things that will make Empire look very powerful, but they're not, they're weak, and it's only by tricking us into being weaker than them do they have any power at all. So without our consciousness and our consent, they are relatively impotent and powerless. So when we talk about the cunning and the power of Empire, it's really their skill for deception, not the might, because they're not that mighty. So, decoding imperial control words. So when I speak imperial, of course, I'm speaking of empire in that sense. So, let's think of it like this. Let's place ourselves in the position of, say, uh, members of an imperial think tank. You know, a group tasked with, you know, we're the bad guys, devising strategies for controlling major populations in America and Europe and Asia and Africa and Australia and whatnot. And and there we all are, sat around a table, secretly trying to shape social policy and attitudes and education and science and military and all that. And let's say that one of our most important tasks, as it would be, is to persuade people to consent to accept the globalism of empire. How How could we get people to do that? How could we get them to be helpless in what is essentially their own world. How, how can we get them to just do as they're told? So I would say, with, with a very large section of the population, we'll call them you know, sleepwalkers, you simply give them diversions. Stressful, repetitive jobs, sports, media, drugs, politics, and all sorts of sordid little avenues of distraction, all, all of which will fill up the lives so much that they won't really have any inclination to pay attention to what's going on in the world. They don't want to know. They'll leave all that to someone else. And I'd say that that portion of the population is probably pretty big, maybe 70%, 5 billion people say. So it's not too hard there. You just fill up the lives with stuff. But let's say there's another 30% of the population who are a bit more thoughtful, a bit more self-educated maybe, bit more insightful who do look into the nature of things more you know people like your listeners basically and other shows like this and other areas of study and scholarly um you know subject matter people who want to learn about the world who feel that there is surely a better way of doing things and 
maybe even we, we should be doing it ourselves. What about, what about them? How does our imperial think tank sort of deactivate those people? Because if they're walking around saying things, alive, powerful, sovereign things, then empire won't last very long because they'll destroy it, those thoughtful, good people. So how do you take them offline? And my proposal to you this evening is that I would say about 250 years ago, which coincides with around the time of the Industrial Revolution in Europe, as literacy and education came within the reach of many millions more people than ever before, Empire came up with a strategy, a very clever one, of controlling the language. And over the following, let's say, 150 years, leading up to what would that be, about uh, about 1900, the language started to rapidly change. So people might think, language? What are you talking about? Why, why bother with what's the major focus on language? Because simply, if you can control the words and their meanings, then you control the thinking. It's very hard to think without language. Even, you know, silently and privately inside your own conscious reflections. Without words, it's hard to think. Try it, it's hard. So the words, or rather, more importantly, the concepts they represent are critical in human cognition and communication and conscious development. So Empire, I, I see, has been very aggressively reshaping the language, slowly, slowly, for sure, but steadfast in, in sort of redefining key aspects of our spoken uh, and written communication to distort reality, or the, certainly to distort the reality in our heads, to restrict our ability to think and to produce confusion and self-doubt and obedience in the minds of people. And they, they're certainly making a determined and um, concerted effort to eliminate our power of judgment. So let, let me give you an example of that, because that's all very abstract. Let me give you a concrete example. Discrimination, right? We spoke about this briefly before, but let's just touch on that for a moment, and then we'll look at something else. If you can't discern things, then you can't make any decisions. You can't make any judgments. You can't choose. You can't know what's good and bad, what works and what doesn't. So if you eat away at that power of discernment, that which is simply our ability to judge quality, then you're making um, they're making discrimination, which is simply observing the difference between things, bad. It becomes a bad thing. So if you read your sort of Webster's 1828 dictionary, which is online, anyone can look at it, at that time the word discrimination means uh, to distinguish, to observe the difference between stuff, to select from things, to make a distinction, to mark notes of difference. No mention of anything negative in the word discrimination, nothing. And if we, if you take the 2016 definition of discrimination, the number one definition now is the practice of unfairly treating a person or a group of people differently. Right. Or from the Collins Dictionary, unfair treatment of a person, racial group, minority, based, action based on prejudice. From the Oxford, unjust prejudicial treatment. Right. So the language has been changed. And what this then does is make all discrimination feel wrong, even the good types. So to discriminate now means to be unfair, perhaps even unlawfully so. And the secondary definitions of the same word, no one cares. No one looks at those. It's just the first thing that they look at. So if someone's on the smartphone and they 
a young person who's not sure what that word means or an old person or whatever, look it up. The first descriptive word is unjust. So in 1828, the description was distinguish, observe, select, mark differences. So that's a a classic, classic example. So imperial culture makes it look like discrimination is a bad thing. And by the time we're all old men, if we haven't educated our families and our young people properly, the new people coming in will assume, well, discrimination is a bad thing. We all know that. That's not true. It make, it, they're trying to make it sort of unfashionable, hateful, so that sections of society cannot perceive truth. They, don't, they won't want to judge for fear of discrimination. And you see that in New Age communities. You know, what do they always say? Oh, I'm not judging. I don't want to judge. Right. Judging is wrong, which is stupid. You know, how gullible and programmable those people are is just staggering to me. Judgment is a primary human skill. It's an instinct, a power, a natural observational tool for an intelligent man or a woman. Without it, we're nothing. Judgment is very important. So if people give that up and lose the ability to make their own mind up, they're in a bad way. You know, what is good? What is bad? What's beautiful? What's ugly? What's rubbish? What's excellent? What they like? What they don't like? They can no longer make that judgment. They make themselves sort of feeble, right? So we've talked about that briefly before, but let's let's turn to another word, right? A big one, this. Democracy. But right? before Very, you before you go to the democracy, let oh, me just, right, if, I, sure. if I might just add something Please, to it. Yes. Because all my life in the corporate world, I always use words like offering the hmm. XYZ for the most discriminating taste. I used that in marketing as far as I can remember. Uh, or I remember this lady who wrote a letter when I left the corporate world and she said, I am someone who will always distinguish you. Now, you use those two words these days for the most discriminating taste. And I bet you some people will be raising the political incorrect flag. They will, they will because they're, what it does, that uh, change in the language, is it makes people afraid. Because they don't want to have that spotlight turned on them, you know, like a sort of uh, concentration camp, and they've gone over the fence. The last thing you want is that spotlight on you. Yeah. They don't want to. They don't want to feel that. So it makes people afraid to discriminate. It makes people afraid to get anything close to it. Use the word. So it's discriminate is a control word, right? So that's the imperial version of it. Democracy a term that many, many people feel very comfortable and confident that they know what that is, you know? A word used every single day in, in politics all around the world and schools and governments and superpowers. Very, very common. Uh, and it appears, of course, to be a good thing. You know, what is democracy? Well, it's some sort of system where the people are involved in electing representatives who administer local, national and global affairs equitably on the on behalf of the people. And periodically, uh, the electorate vote in new representatives to manage things. And, and through a, a system of checks and balances, there are various parties and beliefs that sort of fairly correspond to the prevailing perspectives of the people. And all our life, we grew up thinking, you know, quite naturally, that democracy sounds like a pretty good thing. In reality, none of that is real. It's all a total fabrication for two different kinds of people. people the ignorant masses who don't care and the other category of people who do care but are so stubborn in their ideology that they're happy to idealize what democracy could be or might be. Not what it is. Not in, they don't deal with what's in front of them. And they willfully ignore reality and live in this fabricated dream world. And they, they sold that dream by people like Karl Marx, 
and Vladimir Lenin and even today people like Tony Blair and Bernie Sanders and Jeremy Corbyn and people like that. And democracy, you know, to them it appears to be... Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.